Welcome to another Salvation by Grace midweek message. Salvation by Grace is the teaching ministry of Grace Christian Assembly, a Sovereign Grace Fellowship in Smyrna, Tennessee. Remember to visit our website at salvationbygrace.org. Now, here's our pastor and teacher, Jim McClarty. Providence works. We happen to be in chapter 23 of the book of Proverbs. Last week we got as far as verse 11, which means the place where we're going to pick up is actually very pertinent to the times in which we find ourselves. Now someday someone will listen to this on our website in the archives and talk of the coronavirus will not be as pertinent to them then. They'll listen to it and say, oh yeah, that happened at some point in the past. But I can't help but talk about it this evening because at the moment we're in the midst of the general lockdown and the social distancing and the concern and the hand washing and the hand wringing that goes with the coronavirus. We believe that God is absolutely sovereign. We believe that he's in charge of everything. And throughout the Bible, we find him being in charge of plagues and pestilences. That means that when these things occur, they're not just haphazard occurrences. They're happening for some reason. They have a cause. There is a reason why God is doing this. As you look at the way that God handed out plagues in the past, he handed out those troubles, those pestilences, those famines, those difficulties. He handed them out every time as a judgment in order to instruct his people, in order to punish his enemies, and in order to demonstrate yet again that he is God, one of the most Interesting facets of the times that we find ourselves in is that mankind, in its ego, in its hubris, mankind was kind of riding high. The world was going along very well. The world economy was clipping along. Things were going okay. Uh, there were no major wars at the moment. Everything seemed to be relatively calm on planet Earth. And so that allowed man to neglect God and start thinking about their own ability to create their own reality. And all it took was a little virus, something you couldn't even see, in order for God to throw the whole world into a turmoil, into a tumult, for the whole world to crash economies and uh, people dying, people being sick, going into testing, nobody leave your house people losing jobs, people not being able to go to work. Fortunately, some people are still able to work here at GCA. Most people have been able to work from home, and so the coronavirus is not so much a plague to us as it is an inconvenience. But to the whole wide world, it is still an instruction from God. It is still obvious that the fact that it exists and the fact that it is deadly in the truest sense, means that God is yet again punishing the planet, disciplining 
the planet, disciplining mankind. And human beings are going to have one of two reactions to that discipline. God-hating people aren't going to learn anything from it. The same way that you read in the book of Revelation that when Jesus comes back, those that are left on the planet will be running for the rocks and the caves, the dens of the earth, and crying to the rocks, fall on me and hide me from the wrath of the Lamb. In other words, they've learned nothing from the discipline that they've lived through during the tribulation or even the return of Christ. It just hasn't taught them anything. But those people who actually have wisdom, those people who have understanding, those people who Solomon refers to as the wise, those people are going to embrace the discipline. We're going to come out the other side having learned an important lesson. Even if the important lesson we've learned is that the world is still utterly in God's hands and that if we have another day, another breath, if we're not sick today, it's because God preserved us for another day. Or it may just be that we learn that no matter how much money you have, no matter how much wealth, no matter how much fame you have, you can still be felled by something as small as a virus, and that's still up to God. Or it may be that even if you have nothing in this world, even if you're not counted among the movers and shakers of this world, and yet you survive this, it will be because God got you through it. God helped you to persevere through it, gave you the strength, gave you the health. And so the things that the world counts as really important, we realize now, are not that important. Right now, the people who we day by day didn't really pay attention to, like the truck drivers or the nurses or the folks who stock the shelves at the grocery store, those are the people that we really care about right now. But previously, we didn't give them two thoughts. We were busy thinking about the movers and shakers of the world who at this point mean really very little in our day-to-day -day life. So there are a lot of lessons to be learned as a result of God pouring out this plague, this pestilence, this discipline on the earth. And as I said, we'll have one of two reactions. We're going to learn something or we're not. It's either going to harden our hearts it's going to cause people to say, well, if God exists, why could something this bad break out? Or where is your God when your grandfather died of the coronavirus? They're going to see it as evidence of lack of God. But to people who actually have eyes to see, ears to hear, people who know the word of God, people who Solomon refers to as the wise, they're going to recognize the discipline. They're going to take it to heart and they're going to learn from it. And that's exactly the next thing that Solomon says, which is why I thought, you know, it's very providential that we're about to read this verse. Solomon says, apply your heart to discipline. In the ancient Near Eastern world, the heart was sort of considered the center of emotion, but also of thoughts and intelligence. And so take something to heart is a phrase that we still use. And what we mean by take it to heart is we mean think about it, muse on it. We don't mean take it into the organ that's pumping blood in your chest. We mean make it part of yourself. Take it seriously. Well, the same idea here. Apply your heart 
means apply your thoughts apply what you are to discipline understand discipline when discipline comes into your life understand it for what it is and learn from it instead of simply becoming angry because you're under discipline apply your heart to discipline apply your ears to the words of knowledge in other words when people are speaking intelligent knowledgeable things to you wisdom the wisdom of God when people are talking about those things then you're supposed to according to Solomon turn your ears toward it and take it to heart apply it to your life apply it to how you walk out your life and we know that there are going to be people who don't do that there are going to be people who hate wisdom Solomon's also going to say that that a fool isn't going to listen to it a fool isn't going to be able to apply it but wise people people who are growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord those people are going to take discipline for what it really is they're going to apply it to themselves and recognize it as an opportunity to learn something something more about God something more about yourself something more about what you think is important in this life those lessons can only be learned by enduring the disciplines of life and we all know that we who have ever raised children we know that the best way to teach a child something important is to discipline them I remember as a child one time I uh, walked out into the street and I thought my father was going to have a conniption and he grabbed me and he swatted me and he pulled me to the curb and I didn't think I'd done anything wrong at all I didn't understand the discipline until the truck drove by that I didn't see I didn't know in my youthful ignorance I was just loady do going on out in the street but my father instructing me also disciplined me and from that point forward I learned to look both ways before you walk out into the street so discipline has an application and if you pay attention to it you can learn a great deal from discipline and God knows as our Heavenly Father he knows that the best way to teach us things is through discipline because we don't learn things when we're comfortable the phrase that I heard years ago that I like is I never learned anything really important when I was comfortable because when everything's going well it's all bluebirds rainbows and kumbaya that's not when you're paying attention when things are difficult when things are going hard on you that's when you're really paying attention to the important lessons to be learned so Solomon says apply your heart to discipline and your ears to the words of knowledge and then he addresses the parent-child relationship as we continue through this chapter he's going to address the child-parent relationship but here he's talking to the parent and saying do not hold back discipline from your child and just like I said a moment ago you learn something through proper discipline if you're paying attention to discipline taking it to heart you're going to learn something well that's what Solomon's going to get at here although you beat him with the rod he will not die in other words don't hold back from discipline because your child might cry or might act like he doesn't like you anymore too many parents I think want to be their child's friend instead of being the adult in the room 
And so they're afraid to apply any discipline. Solomon here says, apply the discipline. Even if he cries, he's not going to die from it. When he says in verse 14, you shall beat him with the rod, he's just talking about corporal punishment. In those days, it was a, a matter of caning, like goes on still in areas of the world, or a parent who might use a paddle. It's the same idea. You shall beat him with a rod, but the result of that is, this is not just Solomon advocating arbitrary cruelty toward children. He is not just saying, discipline your child, beat your child. He's not advocating child beating. What he's advocating is proper corporal punishment as a discipline because the result in the second half of verse 14 is, and you will deliver his soul from Sheol. So there's a purpose for discipline. There's an end result for discipline. There's a desire behind proper discipline for you to learn the lessons that will ultimately keep you from the troubles in life. I used to say all the time that I'm strict with my children so that I keep them out of jail. I don't want them going to jail because I spoiled them all their life. I had to teach them at some point that there is the generalized other here in society and that there are authorities over them and they need to pay attention to those authorities and they need to react to those authorities. Children are born coming out of the womb lying. They're sinful from birth and they're completely self-centered. They're completely egocentric and they want to do what they want to do when they want to do it. And if that isn't instructed out of them, if that's not disciplined out of them, then they're going to grow up to become completely undisciplined adults. That was a kind way to put it. Undisciplined adults, you, you know who I'm talking about. You know people like that. You know people who just don't seem to have any self-control and they do whatever they want whenever they want to do it, regardless of who they hurt or what the consequences are and the consequences they have to pay could have been easily avoided if they just had had some discipline. So if you look at those verses all together, it starts with apply your heart so that you understand discipline and apply your ears to the words of knowledge, apparently so that you're growing in the understanding and the wisdom of this life so that you don't need the harsh discipline that you needed as a child in order to correct you. But then as you're raising your children, don't hold back from disciplining the child because you will deliver his soul from the grave, from Sheol. I think the King James says, from hell. So then verse 15 says, My soul, if your heart is wise, then my own heart also will be glad. So why does a father discipline his child? In order to teach him, in order to correct him. And then if you raise a child that does have wisdom, that does have good sense, who makes good decisions, that makes your own heart as a father. It makes you happy. It makes you glad. It makes you satisfied that your child grew up to be a good person and a wise person. Look at verse 22 of this same chapter for just a moment because he's going to kind of veer off for a minute and then the subject's going to come back. 
verse 22 says, listen to your father who begot you and do not despise your mother when she is old. In other words, for the whole rest of your life, pay attention to your elders, pay attention to your parents because they have more life experience than you. So they have more wisdom than you. And I can't begin to count the number of difficulties that I've been through in life, the number of troubles that I got into in my life that I could have avoided if I had just paid more attention to what my father had said in the first place. But because we're egocentric, hard-nosed human beings, we don't learn those lessons the easy way. We don't learn it by our parents telling us we got to learn it the hard way. We got to go out and experience it. And then the discipline comes. And then eventually we learn it and we try to pass it on to our children. And our children all too often despise what the parents have to say. But Proverbs tells us, Solomon tells us, one of these sayings of the wise that we are reading says, Listen to your father, the one who begot you, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Because she's got a lifetime of experience. She's got a lot of stuff that you can learn from. So the word despise there means don't reject her, don't turn away from her. Pay attention to her. And then verse 23, of course, says, buy truth and do not sell it, which we looked at last week. Get wisdom and instruction and understanding. Well, the best place to get wisdom, instruction, and understanding is by paying attention to the disciplines in your life, paying attention to your elders, paying attention to the people who have already got all that life experience. If you do that and then pay attention, obviously, to the word of God, you're going to collect enough wisdom and instruction and understanding that you're going to avoid some of the hardships of this life, ultimately even to the point of avoiding Sheol, avoiding ultimate death because of your hard-heartedness. So back to verse 15. My son, if your heart is wise, my own heart also will be glad, and my inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak what is right. There's a tremendous amount of joy to see your children grow up to be wise, to have good discernment, and then when they pair it back to you, when they say back to you, the things that you taught them growing up, it gives you a tremendous sense of well-being and joy internally. I had to laugh that uh, my parents used to tell me a lot of things that I, I didn't think I was really hearing it, really paying attention to it. And then I had kids and I heard myself saying to my children things that my parents used to say to me. I was saying the same, in or out, in or out, don't pick at it. You know, just the, the same stuff that my parents used to say to me, I was saying to my children, come over here, I'll give you something to cry about. I mean, I was becoming my dad. But that's because my dad had that parental wisdom that he passed down to me, and he passed it down to me at a time when 
I was a child that needed the correction. And then when it was time to correct my own children, I knew how because I had been properly raised. And so that's what Solomon's getting at. My inmost being is going to rejoice when your lips speak what is right. Verse 17 then says, Do not let your heart envy sinners. If we're under instruction, uh, certainly everybody in Israel that Solomon was writing to initially, they were all under the law. And because they were under the law, there were things that they just couldn't do that the heathen could do. Solomon writes that when you're witnessing the heathen doing their evil things, you shouldn't start envying them. You shouldn't start thinking, well, that looks fun. I'd like to participate in some of that. They're not under the strictures that I'm under. That must be nice to have that kind of freedom. The same way that many Christians today will look at the world and think, well, that looks more fun than, than the restrictions that are put on us. Solomon has said, don't do that. Don't let your heart envy sinners. And then he tells you why. Why shouldn't you envy sinners? You should live in the fear of the Lord always, so you walk after the reverence of the Lord. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Walk in the fear of the Lord always at all times, so you don't let yourself think, well, that looks fun or that looks less restrictive than what I have to go through, what I have to do. And here's the reasoning, because surely there is a future. Now, when you go back and you look at that in the Hebrew, and I've read a couple of commentaries about that verse because it's not obvious on its face, what Solomon is saying is there is an eschatological future. There is an eternity. There is an everlastingness to human life. And you want to be part of that. You want to partake of the future that exists. You don't want to be punished in the future. You want to be accepted by God in the future and your hope will not be cut off. So your hope, your anticipation, you're looking forward to that future. And so that anticipation of everything God has for you and has promised for you needs to be your inspiration for not envying sinners and not walking like sinners, not walking like the world, not acting like the heathen. You're not actually being cheated out of anything. You're actually gaining everything because there is a future. There is a hope out there ahead of you. So when you gain that future, you're never going to look back and think, you know, this is nice, but I would have liked to have gone to more parties. You know, this is nice, but I would have liked to have been able to cheat my neighbor more often. You're never going to look back and regret once you've gained the future that God has planned for you. And so your hope will not be cut off. If that's your hope and you walk out your life by that hope and by the wisdom of God, well, then it's guaranteed. It's not going to be cut off. You're not going to get shortchanged. You're going to get everything God has promised you. And as a result of that, don't envy what sinners do here and now. Look at chapter 24, verse 1. He says, do not be envious 
of evil men. It's the same idea. It's repeated a couple times now in these sayings by wise men. Do not be envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them, which I think is an interesting addition. When you see them doing their evil deeds, when you see them engaging in their sinful activities that may look like they're fun to you because the Bible's honest enough to say there's pleasure in sin for a season. So when you see people who have this sinful proclivity and it looks like their life is going better than your life or they're having more fun or they're engaging in more activities that satiate their flesh, Ultimately, we know by the law, by God's word, we know that those things they're doing are evil. So don't be envious of those evil men and don't desire to be with them. Don't want to join in with them. Don't engage in those activities with them because, verse 2, for their minds devise violence and their lips talk about trouble. In other words, the activity that they're engaging in demonstrates what really is going on inside them. Evil is in their heads. Evil is in their minds. Evil is in their hearts. And their minds devise these activities of violence and taking advantage of other people and cheating other people and becoming wealthy off the backs of the poor. That's what's really in them. That's what they're like. That is the opposite of what it is to be God-fearing and have that wisdom that is the fear of the Lord. So the contrast is, again, just black and white. It's just night and day. If you belong to God, if you have the wisdom of God, if God is in the practice of disciplining you, then you shouldn't desire to be like the sinful and the hateful evil men of this world. You should recognize that there is a future promise, a future hope, And that as you're walking through this life in the fear of the Lord, that hope is not going to be cut off. That future is going to be yours. You're not really ultimately going to be cheated out of anything. In fact, you're going to gain much more than they ever are. And what's inside them is evil. So don't be with them. You're not one of them. Don't act like one of them. God has separated you out from them which is why the Bible and Jesus himself would say, you're in the world, but you're not of it. That idea runs Old Testament or New, that we have to be willing to walk out our profession of faith, recognizing the gift of faith, recognizing the gift of wisdom that's been given to us by God, and therefore we ought to be different than the world and not be envious of the world. Because I would add, parenthetically, even this discipline that the world is undergoing right now, even this punishment that God is meeting out on the planet right now, is ultimately going to be for the benefit of those who love God. All things work together for good to those who love God according to his purpose, who are called according to his purpose. And yet, as I said at the beginning, the world isn't going to learn a thing from it. If anything, they're going to shake their fist at God for it. So you should not, as a child of God, as one that he has separated from the world, you shouldn't desire to be like they are. Because ultimately, down deep in their heart, 
as demonstrated on their lips, they're evil. You shouldn't want to be that. You're the called out of God. See the contrast? Verse 19 then picks up at, again, a father speaking to his son. Listen, my son, and be wise, and direct your heart in the way. Several times now we've seen Solomon use that language, the way, that we walk in the way. He's talking about the way of wisdom, the way of proper discipline, the way that has fear of the Lord as the central issue of your life. So then pay attention, listen, my son, and be wise, and direct your heart, your emotions, your intentions to the way of the Lord. And then the first example he's going to give of how to walk in the proper way is don't be drunk. That would be indication number one, that you've lost control of yourself. Do not be with heavy drinkers of wine or with gluttonous eaters of meat. That word meat there is food. People who overeat, people who overdrink, the same way that he said, don't be part of, don't be around evil men, don't desire to be with them. Same thing here. Don't desire to be with heavy drinkers. That's all part and parcel of this don't be part of the world thinking. Don't be with the heavy drinkers of wine or with gluttonous eaters of food, for the heavy drinker and the glutton will come to poverty. And that's true. How many alcoholics end up living on the streets? I mean, that's almost like an adage at this point. We all know that the man who drinks heavily is going to lose his family, he's going to lose his home. And many people wind up living on the streets because of over drinking. And I think the glutton comes to poverty because if he's spending all his time eating, he's not working. He's not out there being diligent. He's not out there providing for himself and his family. The heavy drinker and the glutton will come to poverty and drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. What that means is sleepiness, which certainly eating too much or drinking too much will bring about drowsiness. And that's ultimately going to mean that you're going to wear rags. You're not going to be finely arrayed if that's the way that you live your life. Jump down to verse 29 because that same idea is picked up in verse 29. And several weeks ago, we jumped ahead to read this when Solomon was talking about not being drunk with wine. Verse 29 says, who has woe, who has sorrow, who has contentions, who has complaining, who has wounds without cause, who has redness of eyes? And the answer is those who linger long over wine, those who go to taste mixed wine. By the way, I find it kind of amusing, the phrase, who has wounds without cause, I don't think he's speaking medically there. I think he's talking about people who sober up and look at their body and it's bruised or cut up or messed up. And they're like, how did I get that? Because they don't realize that they fell into a bramble bush the night before or something. Or they were at a party and fell down and knocked their head. They wake up and it's like they've got wounds and they don't know why. Wounds without cause and redness in their eyes. 
And that's what happens to people who linger long over wine. Verse 31 says, do not look on wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. That means at the very beginning, when you're just looking at it, smelling it, thinking, oh, this is just fine. I can handle this. It's sparkling in the cup and it's bright red and it goes down smoothly because verse 32 says, when that's all over, after you've drunk a lot, at the last, it bites like a serpent and it stings like a viper. In other words, the wine can be attractive, but the end result is going to be harmful to you. Then he describes the harm that comes to you. Verse 33, your eyes will see strange things like pink dancing elements. <laughs> elements? Pink dancing elephants. In elements. They're in their element when they're dancing. Your eyes will see strange things and your mind will utter perverse things. Have you ever known anybody that was an angry drunk? I've known a lot of angry drunks who you can get along with okay when they're sober, but let them start drinking. And the next thing you know, all kinds of filth and foul and perversity and anger comes out of their face. And he says, that's what wine does to people. And verse 34, and you will be like one who lies down in the middle of the sea. The idea there is the rocking and the rolling of the sea. When you lay down, the room is going to keep moving. You're not going to feel stable. And so it's like you're laying down in the middle of the sea or like one who lies down on the top of a mast. So if you have a ship in the ocean and the waves are coming and the ship is rocking, the part of the ship that is making the most dramatic movement is the top of the mast. It's waving back and forth and forward and back. And if you were laying down on top of that mast, it would be very hard to rest because of all of that movement. And he says, that's what it's like when you're trying to rest when you're drunk. Verse 35, they struck me, but I did not become ill. They beat me, but I did not know it. And when shall I awake? And then I will seek another drink. They go back drinking again. So you can see the harm that heavy drinking and gluttony does. Solomon doesn't speak against wine. Wine is part of a meal in most Middle Eastern countries. Pure water was difficult to find, and so oftentimes they'd make a mixture of wine and water. And even Paul writing to Timothy says, take a little wine for your stomach's sake and you're often infirmities. The Bible is not adverse to drinking wine as the fruit of the vine, even if it is fermented. But heavy drinking, then you lose control. Then the wine takes control. Or gluttony. There's nothing wrong with eating and there's nothing wrong with enjoying food. And if God is kind enough to you that he puts good food in front of you, then enjoy it and thank God for it. But if all you do is sit down and satiate your flesh over and over again and you're gluttonous, well, then you're going to become drowsy. You're going to be clothed with rags and you're ultimately going to come to poverty. So excess in anything is bad for you. A bit of water is good for cleaning the body. Too much water, you drown. Excess is always a problem. 
you need to pay attention to keeping your habits, keeping your behaviors, keeping your life under control so that your life doesn't become under the control of something else. I think we could also make that argument about drugs. If you've got a headache and you want to take some Tylenol, I get it. Okay, that's in moderation. But if you've got a headache and you decide heroin's the answer, you've lost control. So you need to be able to moderate your life and make sure that you're making wise decisions and don't let anything gain control over you. God alone should have mastery over you, not the stuff of this world, not your food, not your drink, not your drugs, not your habits. Those things should not have mastery over you. You belong to God. He alone should have that mastery. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. We've already looked at verse 22, which says, Listen to your father who begot you, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom and instruction and understanding. Verse 24 then is continuing to talk about a father and a son. If he raises a son who is a righteous person, the father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. And he who begets a wise son will be glad in him. That's the whole reason, by the way, the motivation for most of the book of Proverbs is Solomon saying, listen, my son, and I'll tell you wisdom. And then we had all the Proverbs from Solomon, followed by Solomon reciting these sayings of the wise, but they all have the direction of teaching his children. And so as we read through these instructions, it's clear that a father having invested that kind of time and energy and discipline and instruction into a child, if he raises a child who is righteous as a result, who becomes wise as a result, well, that's very gratifying to a father. That's very satisfying to a father. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who begets a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and your mother be glad. In other words, be wise, be righteous, walk in the way that we've taught you so that you can let your father and mother be happy in you. It's the inverse of saying, don't be a fool and make your parents unhappy. Instead, be wise, pay attention to what we're telling you and let your father and your mother be glad in you. And let her rejoice who gave birth to you. Give me your heart, my son. Remember earlier we began with apply your heart to discipline. And I said the heart is the center of thought, learning, emotion. Give me your heart, my son. In other words, pay attention. Listen to my words. Listen to my instruction. Grow in the things I'm telling you. And let your eyes delight in my ways. A wise father is going to have a way of walking, a way of leading his life, a way of serving out his days. And then the son is going to observe it. And if the father is a good example and the son grows up to walk in the same way, well, then the son is going to delight 
in the ways of his father and then is going to walk like his father. So give me your heart, my son, and let your eyes delight in my ways. For a harlot, and we looked at this verse a couple of weeks ago, for a harlot is a deep pit, and an adulterous woman is a narrow well. I explained when we talked about it before that whether you fall into a deep pit, you're not going to be able to climb out of it. If you fall into a narrow well, that's going to restrict your arm movement. You're not going to be able to climb out of it. Either way, you have fallen into a trap that you can't escape from. And so he says here, that form of harlotry, that form of even adultery, a harlot is that kind of trap. It may look alluring. It may look like something the sinners get to do. Evil men get to do it. Therefore, why not me? And yet, if you do participate in that, says Solomon, it's a trap. It's going to trap you, and you're not going to be able to get out of it. Surely, says verse 28, surely she lurks like a robber. In other words, she's there hanging around the same way a robber hangs around until he has the opportune moment to rob you. She waits, she lurks, she watches like a robber and she increases the faithless among men. Now we use that word. If you're true to your wife, we say that you're faithful to your wife. I think what Solomon is getting at here is faithfulness to the way of wisdom faithfulness to your walk in life, faithfulness toward God. It is true that if you could be encouraged, enticed by a harlot and you are married, obviously then it has increased your faithlessness toward your wife. But he doesn't say toward your wife here. He says it increases the faithless among men. So he's using the word faithless in the largest context All the things that you say you believe, all the things that you have been raised with, all the things that your father has taught you, all the ways that you walk in the fear of the Lord, you've become faithless toward all those things if you turn aside to the harlot. She's a trap. Don't fall for that trap. And that takes us to verse 29, which we've already read. It is all about lingering over wine till you have redness of eyes and then ending up waking up in the morning and going, wow, they struck me and I didn't become ill. They beat me and I didn't know it. When shall I awake? I think I'll go get another drink. And that's the way that chapter ends. So we will pick up next week at chapter 24 which we've already looked at the first couple of verses, do not be envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them, for their minds devise violence, and their lips talk of trouble. But look at verse 3, and we'll call it a night. By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. It's wisdom, ultimately, that's going to build your house The word house there can mean a physical house with rooms in it where you put your furniture and your riches and things, but it can also mean dynasty. It can mean the lineage that comes from you. And through wisdom, properly instructing your children, raising up your children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, that is the way that you build 
a solid foundation house, lineage, family. And so I just wanted to attach that verse to everything else we've seen tonight about proper discipline, about learning from discipline, understanding that the discipline is ultimately for your own good, and then the relationship of father and son in conveying wisdom. And even though children are rebellious, you still need to discipline them consistently because what you're doing for them is delivering their soul from ultimate punishment. So better that you punish them here briefly. They're going to cry, but they're not going to die. So don't withhold the punishment. And in correcting them, you're going to deliver them from ultimate punishment. So temporary punishment from dad is better than ultimate punishment from God. So pay attention to discipline. Learn something when it happens. Learn something from this virus that's going around the world. It didn't show up here by accident. God is disciplining the world yet again, just like the word of God. To some people, it's the sweet savor of life unto life. To some people, it's the scent of death unto death. And when God pours out these kinds of corrections, all of humanity gets divided up again. Either you're going to learn something or you're going to hate him all the more for it. All right? All right. Questions about that? From all three of you, from any of the three of you. (laughs) I appreciate you being here so that I had at least somebody to talk to because I've promised the Internet folks that every Sunday and Wednesday we were staying with the series, staying with the teaching. So I appreciate you being here to root me on because I would have been standing here anyway doing exactly this. But it's nice to be able to look at somebody and go, right? Which I'd probably do to the empty chairs. Thank you for listening to this week's Salvation by Grace message. We welcome your feedback and encourage you to visit our website at salvationbygrace.org. And we invite you to join us next time when we gather around the Word and study the sovereign grace of God.